Turn in your Bibles or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And follow along with me silently as I read aloud, beginning in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. This is what the Word of God says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Father, we come before you today excited to be here, grateful to be alive, and grateful to be able to gather together with the saints and hear your word, and to hear of what you're doing in the lives of your people and saving them in doing a total transformation in their life as they depict that and celebrate that today through baptism. Be with us today. Be glorified in all that is said and done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Baptism Sunday, a day of celebration in the life of our church when we celebrate what God has done in the lives of those being baptized. And when I say celebrate, that's not just the words of an overly caffeinated pastor behind a pulpit. We actually celebrate. There is much to celebrate in baptizing believers, and that's why we react the way that we do. In fact, the last time we had a baptism back in October, I preached the message that focused on this very thing, and I actually entitled the sermon, Why We Cheer. Looking at why do we cheer after a baptism— I've never gotten before a crowd of people and done a baptism and said, okay, listen, this is what I want you to do. Everybody pay attention, all eyes on me. After we baptize the person and I lift them out of the water, it would be so great if they could have riotous applause, welcome them as they come back out and are able to breathe again. And everyone goes, okay, what well, do we, we need to do that? That's never happened. There's a natural reaction from the people of God after somebody is baptized that they cheer, that they applaud, that they celebrate what God has done. Every time it happens, it's the sound of people resonating with the new life in Christ that the person just spoke of. It's the sound of people celebrating along with that person. It's the people of God saying, I know what that means, or I get it, or I too have been made new. Or put another way, which I want to focus on today, I too have been changed. I too have been changed. So in your outline, Uh, I put my own definition of baptism that I'd like for you to consider for our time today. Baptism is an outward public celebration of an inward personal reality of the total transformation that takes place when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. Baptism, what we're doing today, baptism is an outward public celebration of an inward personal reality of the total transformation that takes place when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. In the text that we read today in Ephesians 4 and verse 17, we start out looking at 
the old way of life, right? That's what Paul is talking about here. The old man, the old woman prior to coming to Christ. And so one thing we celebrate is this, point number one. Christians celebrate the fact that we no longer have to live and no longer have to die like we used to. Christians celebrate that we no longer have to live or die like we used to. Pick it up in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's what Paul says, reminding the Ephesian believers that the change that they've experienced in becoming a Christian should affect or begin to affect every area of their lives. This is not a Sunday thing. This is not just a Bible study thing. This is not I now pray before food thing. The fact that they have been changed by the sovereign saving grace of God should begin to affect all areas of their life. They don't look at money the same. They don't look at work the same or school the same or friendships or family or friends or living or dying the same as they did prior to coming to Christ. The gospel changes how we view life and people and our time here on earth so that we would, as Paul instructs us in verse 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, in order to be obedient to verse 17, it begs the question, how did the Gentiles walk? So we could not walk like them, right? What, what does Paul have in mind when he talks about do not walk as the Gentiles do? Well, he goes on to explain that uh, in verse 17. Look at verse 17 again. He says, in the futility of their minds. And so as Christians, we don't wander through life lacking meaning and purpose. We don't have uh, minds that just try to think and reason throughout life apart from God, trying to make up this godless reality where they all of a sudden just start thinking in futile thoughts, meaning it's futile, it's futility, it leads to nowhere, it's unproductive, it's unfruitful, it's unhelpful. We don't have that as Christians. As Christians, we have the Word of God that gives us answers to life's biggest questions, either directly or in principle. This Bible speaks to all of life's issues, bar none. And so we don't have, we don't walk around as if we're unbelievers thinking we don't have answers. God does give us answers. God does give us hope. God does give us help when we need it most in life. And so we don't wander through life lacking meaning and purpose in the futility of our minds. That's one way the Gentiles walk, that we don't. Another thing, we don't live our lives far from God without any understanding whatsoever. Look at verse 18. It says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I'd venture to say that as you hear people talk about what Jesus Christ has done for them, you will hear in some way, shape, or form people talking about hard, stone-hard hearts becoming soft and sensitive to the things of God. Because that's something God does for his redeemed. He softens our hearts. That doesn't mean he makes us wallflowers. It means that he makes our hearts sensitive and, and receptive to the things of God that we would otherwise not be receptive to. We don't live our lives far from God without any understanding because God has given us not hard hearts, but he's broken through the hardness, callous exterior of our hearts and pierced us right in our very souls. We also don't feel our way through life as slaves to our desires. Look at verse 19. It says, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
One of the greatest gifts of salvation is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are still sinners. Don't get me wrong. Every Christian remains a sinner until they're united with Christ in death. But we're not slaves to sin. We still sin. We still have temptations. We still uh, fight and have to struggle against our flesh and the temptations that we face in life. But we're not in bondage to sin. We're not enslaved to our own passions, our own desires. We don't have to do everything we feel. We don't have to give in to every craving that we have. We're not slaves to our desires. We're not greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so those are some of the ways when Paul says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk because you're Christians now. Those are some of the things that Paul is talking about. Now, Paul is talking to believers who have been saved out of a Gentile, raw pagan past. To go from being an unsaved Ephesian to being a Christian was a radical change in first century Ephesus. And so you might be sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what? I could understand that drastic change in my life. I can understand that. Maybe you were running hard after the world, after sin, after all sorts of selfish desires. You may have in many ways taken advantage of others for personal gain throughout your life prior to Christ. You may have traveled so far down the road of sin that you can say, I've, I've been there. I've, I've done that. I no longer go there. I no longer do that. My life is completely different. But you have to understand, those who knew me then wouldn't recognize me now. Those who know me now wouldn't have recognized me then. I am literally a new creation, to which we say, praise God. God does a great change in your life. But you might also be thinking this. Peter, this isn't Ephesus. I know that our country's in a really bad spot, but it's still not Ephesus. It's the USA. It's northern Kentucky. It's, it's Cincinnati. The, the culture here isn't as raw pagan as it was for the Ephesians who were saved. Sure, that's there, but do we really experience such a total transformation in life when there's a lot of lost people who are just trying to be nicer in life? We don't live in a raw pagan society that Paul would have been speaking to at that time. For example, you may have always, in some sense, believed in God. Maybe even believed the gospel to be the, the way one is saved from darkness to light, from the wrath of God to the love of God. I mean, you might say, gosh, I can't remember a, a time in my life when I didn't believe in God. I, I didn't move from believing in a pagan God to the real and living God. I've always believed in God. I, and therefore, I'll never have that drastic change I hear others speaking of. But here's the thing. Isaiah 53, uh, in verse 5, says the following. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The prophet Isaiah is speaking, foretelling of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. Not some sheep, but all sheep. The prophet Isaiah doesn't say people are kind of lost. Some of us really lost, like with a capital L, am I right? But, but, but no, it just levels the playing field at the foot of the cross, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. 
Every single one of us. It's, an, it's a completely inclusive statement that all of us, regardless of background, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It doesn't take more blood from Jesus Christ or less blood of Jesus Christ to save an individual based on their past. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Everyone has a past. Everyone has a past. You may have been raised right, understanding the truth of God's word. Never a day in your life you can remember being without God's word. Never a day in your life can you recall not being around God's people. You've always experienced the blessings of living among believers. But make no mistake, you have a past too. It may not be outwardly lived in a way that someone else who comes to Christ later in life has experienced life apart from God for an extended period of time. But your heart is as dead as her heart. Your, 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 your mind is as darkened as his mind. All we like sheep have gone astray. Lost is lost. There's no little lost, very lost. Lost is lost. I used to use this illustration in student ministry. I think it's effective. Some people serve up poop in a paper bag. Other people serve up poop on Waterford Crystal. At the end of the day, it's still what? Poop. Yeah. And if you concentrate, you can literally smell it right now. You're welcome. You can dress it up any way you like. It's still poop. Lost is lost. And so you may not have a long past and a long history of making poor decisions that have manifested themselves in different actions in your life. Or maybe you have. Guess what? The ground is level at the foot of the cross and everyone who is lost can be saved by placing their trust in Jesus Christ. That's why you'll notice we celebrate baptisms all the same regardless of who is being baptized. Like, we don't have an applause meter. Like, that was a decent, okay, maybe, I'll clap a little. And then we really ramp it up for someone who's, like, talking about how they were saved in a drastic way. No, that's, we cheer regardless. We celebrate baptisms all the same because a changed life is a changed life. A saved soul is a saved soul. It's the reality of one more life snatched from the fire. One more spiritual orphan hearing God say, gotcha, you're mine. We are family. Whether that orphan was in rags or clothed in riches, an orphan is an orphan. A salvation is a salvation and a changed life is a changed life. And we celebrate just the same. And that's our second and final point. Christians celebrate the fact that we have new life in Christ and have been changed to be more like him. Whether Christ had a presence in your life for as long as you can remember, or you can literally remember when you were first introduced to him, baptism celebrates the total transformation that takes place in a believer's life when they place their faith, their trust in Christ. Right after Paul talks about the old self in verses 17 through 19, Ephesians 4, verse 20, he picks up uh, talking about the new self. Look at verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Right? The old way of life, the old way that you lived, that's not how you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ through those things, through those means. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, 
as the truth is in Jesus. Then he lists three important steps that take place in all of our salvations if we're saved and is also an ongoing process that we're inspired to keep up as much as we can as human beings as we walk with Christ. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So in Christ, we have put off our old self. In the Greek, literally, it's not, it's the same exact words as if you were saying, putting off your dirty clothes, putting off your jacket. It's the same thing. You're taking off your old self. You're no longer living in your former way of life, regardless of what your former way of life was. You're laying it aside because all of a sudden now you understand the truth about Jesus, and that affects every aspect of your life. But it's not just that God helps you to stop doing bad things. It's not about behaviorism. Look at verse 23. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In Christ, we've not just put off our old self, but we've been renewed. We have a new mind. Paul later, in, or elsewhere in, Corinth, in his letter to the Corinthians, says we actually have the mind of Christ. That's a crazy statement. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. Like We have the ability to understand things as he understands them because of the beauty and the grace that we find in his word. We don't just stop doing our old habits. It's not about behaviorism. It's not about life management, sin management. But we also change the way we think. God renews us in our minds so that we might interpret life not according to our own desires and our own flesh, but according to his word. That we would understand our relationships with others and our time in this world, long and short as it may be, according to his word. And then finally, we put off our old, we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we put on the new self. Verse 24 says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we put off our old self. We change the way we think. God changes our minds, but he doesn't leave us there naked. He gives us a new robe of righteousness to put on, a new self. We put on, we step into this clothing that was literally made just for us through the gospel that we might live lives that aren't sinless but do sin less. Because God longs to conform us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. This is what baptism symbolizes. We get the word baptism from the Greek word baptizo. It's really not super creative. From the Greek word baptizo, which means to to dip or to immerse. The, The waters of baptism do nothing. There's nothing holy about this water. It came from a hose bib in the back, not gonna lie. Nothing holy about the water. The waters of baptism do nothing but understand they symbolize everything. They symbolize everything. You will see somebody in completely dry clothes get into the baptismal tank and come out completely wet head to toe. They symbolize everything. There's no aspect of our changed life that remains untouched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as the person goes down indicating their death to the old, they come up looking completely different and completely new as salvation has just totally affected and and changed every aspect of their life or will do so soon. It's a symbol of the total transformation, the 
radical change that has taken place in a person's life. Regardless of background and circumstances, baptism depicts spiritual darkness to spiritual life or a parched spiritual soul apart from Christ being just immersed into the love of Christ that it would totally wash every part of their being. Just as every part of him was lost before Christ, every part of him has been impacted by the love he has for Jesus and the love Christ has for him. Just as she was a spiritual orphan, Christ grants her adoption into God's family, a place at the family dinner table because of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate in baptism. That's why we cheer, and that's a change worth celebrating. That one-time total transformation that happens, boom, in an instant when someone places their faith in Christ leads to an ongoing transformation in our lives as we strive to be more like Jesus. Again, not sinless, but strive to sin less, and God gives us the grace to do that. We daily put off our old habits, are renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the right ways of Christ. It's an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And as we watch people be baptized, we're reminded and inspired by people's testimonies of life transformation to pursue ongoing transformation in being more like Christ. Now, what about you? As you sit here today, one of two things will be true. You'll either be thankful that you can resonate with the change worth celebrating because you too can celebrate a similar change in your life. You look at this person, you hear them say, I was, but God, so now, and you're like, I have those same three points in my life. I was, but God, so now. What follows each of those phrases is different, but that same change has happened in my life. I was, but God, so now. And you'll sit here and you'll resonate with what people are saying. Or you'll sit here realizing these people speak of a change that you've yet to experience. If that's you, I want to make sure you understand what biblical faith is. Because lots of people live by faith. Lots of people believe in things that they can't see. But biblical saving faith is more than that. It's not just... I believe in a book, and I believe what the book says. I mean, just about any history book that you've ever read, because you weren't there, you're kind of in some way, shape, or form accepting it on faith, right? So it's more than just, I just believe something. Uh, Biblical faith, saving faith, means you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. It's not just believing in something you haven't seen, believing in a man that you haven't met, believing in God even though you can't see him. It, it, it is that, but it's not just that. Saving faith is forsaking all I trust him. I'm going to lay aside everything else that I thought was going to get me into heaven or make me a better person. I'm not just going to be a nice guy trying to be nicer. I'm not just going to be a, a nice girl trying to be nicer. I'm, I'm going to put all of my eggs in this one basket and really believe That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for my sins, and God the Father was satisfied, and I owe God nothing. 
Not because God just gave me a get-out-of-jail-free card, but because Jesus truly did pay it all. I'm truly believing that Jesus Christ paid for my sins on the cross. And more than that, I'm believing that because he died and was buried but then rose from the grave, I have hope of rising too from the grave, that I can defeat death, that I can have that same victory over the grave. Faith, forsaking all, I trust him. I'm laying everything else aside. The fact that my good is going to outweigh my bad, the fact that I'm not as bad as the person down the street, the fact that I can look around the room and find people that I'm better than, it's not about that. I'm laying all that aside, laying it all aside and putting all of my eggs in one basket. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I'm putting my faith in him. And I'm asking him to help me and to change me and to save me. And God's word tells us that if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No one has ever done it and not gotten it. You will be saved. Hear the good news of the gospel. Listen to me. Jesus Christ loves sinners like you. Sinners like me. Sinners like us. He died for sinners like you and like me and like us. He offers salvation to anyone who would say, I'm placing my full faith in Jesus Christ. I'm believing that he paid for my sins by dying on the cross. I believe, I believe that he rose from the grave so I can too. And the people who are being baptized today believe that and want to publicly share that with you. But you understand that the change that's happened in their life has already happened. Baptism is just depicting it and publicly professing it. But like I said, it's hose water. But what it depicts and what it symbolizes is a radical, complete change and transformation in somebody's life because they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And if that's not a peace that you have, if that's not a change that you can celebrate, understand today that as you are sitting here, uh, as you are breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide, as life is flowing through your veins, it's not too late for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to say, I believe. I'm going to give Jesus a shot because I believe. I'm going to walk with him as best I can. I'm going to learn and I'm going to try because I believe and he really can change me and really will change me. And that is a change worth celebrating. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be able to celebrate the life transformation that you have made in the lives of uh, our brothers and sisters who are part of our church and especially in the lives of the three people who are going to be baptized today. Lord, would you be with us as we uh, continue to celebrate, as we continue to worship you in song, and as we continue to hear of the great transformation that you've made in people's lives. May you receive all the glory for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.